Hello, good morning, good afternoon, depending on when you're listening to it. This is Al, and I'm checking in on you on my weekend podcast. How are you? It's a lovely day today. I hope you've got some nice plans. What have you been up to? I hope you're doing very, 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 very well. Yeah, so um, I've got some news for you. Um, You'll remember from the last podcast that I was going to the hospital um, I went to the hospital, uh, when was it? It was on Monday. Was it on Monday? Yes, it was on Monday. So I went to the hospital on Monday and I had to get the whole nose tube stuff. You know, the, the swallow the camera routine and all that sort of stuff. And um, because I, they wanted to find out what was going on with my my vocal cords. Because like, like I said last week, um, they've not felt right to me for a few months a little bit hoarse, maybe. I don't think anyone will have heard it in concerts and stuff. And you probably can't hear it now, but um, I, I can feel them working slightly differently. So I went to the GP and they sent me to the hospital pretty quickly because they, there was a few red flags for cancer, they said. Um, and they wanted to rule that out. So I had the whole thing down uh, the nose. Um, yeah, and... Uh, you have to take it. It's it's not overly pleasant, you know, as they're inserting this huge uh, wire into your into your <laughs> into your head kind of thing. And the doctor was telling me to breathe breathe deeply. And what I always do in in these sorts of situations is I I always kind of meditate on the Liverpool team lineup of my um, childhood. So as I was breathing in, I was thinking, Ray Clements got the ball, number one on his back. Number two, Phil Neal, <laughs> Alan Kennedy, oh, Phil Thompson. And I'd carry on like that, you see, and that would just kind of slowly help me visualise and focus on something else. And then I always linger on Kenny Dalglish. I always I always linger on him. I always I always visualise him. You know, that that kind of look slightly across over his left shoulder and the 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 white number seven on the on the red shirt on his back and and then I picture him, uh, I picture him just slotting the ball in at Wembley in the European Cup final and continuing his run and leaping over the advertising hoarding. And uh, so it wasn't too bad doing all that, really. But I, by the time I got through Sammy Lee and Ian Rush and by the time I reached uh, Terry McDermott, it was pretty much all over. And, you know, the good news is that it's not cancer. Um, so they can see that. The bad news is that I've got, I've got Singer's Nightmare, everyone. Um, I've got Singer's Nightmare, which is nodules. I'm, I'm chuckling here because, well, first of all, it's only the beginning of nodules, so that's not so bad. But I'm just pondering on, on what masters of persuasion uh, my medical team were, first of all, sending me for possible cancer. And then, you know, had they just sent me to the doctors, the thing I was fearing was nodules, you see, when when I, I, I went on this medical journey. Um, Kaya, who's a, a singer, usually based in Liverpool, now moves to London. Um, you might know her because she runs the Threshold Festival uh, with her partner, Chris. And um, she said to me, no, you need to get this sorted because it sounds like some sort of vocal injury. Um, so I went, but I was fearing nodules. But... Um, Masters of persuasion that they are, they sent me to the hospital for the camera jobby um, with the possibility of cancer. So I was kind of celebrating nodules in the end. 
Um, but that's how uh, that's how we can be very easily manipulated. You see, the good news is it's it's early days nodules, which means that had I have left it, it could have really wrecked my voice. But at this situation, um, what's going to happen is that I'm going to take two months off recording, and I'm going to take two months off gigging, which means I'll be back for my normal gigs at the back end of September. Thankfully, I was a little bit light over the summer, as it sometimes. Um, works out that way so I've postponed a house gig um, in Liverpool so that's going to happen probably more in the autumn now and um, yes yeah, so I'm going to take two months off and I'm going to do a load of vocal therapy so by the time I come back again um, I'll, I'll well I think it'll probably have a good outcome you know I think what it'll mean is I'm hoping because um, I've never been trained as a singer you know I've just done it so there's probably all sorts of bad habits that I'm doing, which is, which has resulted in the nodule. I'm just thinking you might not even know what a nodule is. It's basically like a callus on your vocal cords. So if I'm being, as I often do, I often play a lot of rooms without amplification. So I'm, you naturally strain, I think, in order to hit the, the back of the room, um, especially when there's people in, because then the people kind of like um, absorb the sound. So you have to really work them vocal cords pretty hard and I think what's happened over the years is a little callus has started to form you know as the vocal cords have been kind of smacking together um yeah and so that's what happens a little callus forms now if you keep on doing that then the the callus gets to the point where um well what happens you see you've got vocal folds I've got my hands together as if in prayer at the moment just so you can see what I'm doing and if you imagine your vocal folds doing that, your vocal cords, that's how they should be. But if you insert like a P or, or a pen or something like that in there so that they can't close properly, that's where you get kind of frogginess and hoarseness um, air coming through that shouldn't really be coming through. So the little croakiness that I'm feeling, that's basically what that is. So the point is to try and get it to the... So I can either... That's the slight little nodule thing that's begun to form. I can either allow that to heal naturally, which might happen through better technique, um, so I'm not smacking against it constantly, um, or um, they may well teach me to sing in such a way that the little callus that's there isn't going to bother me, and certainly that it won't get any worse. But yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean. When they tell you it might be cancer and then they tell you it's not, the fact that it's nodules feels like a cause of celebration. But it is a blow, really, because singing is a big part of my well-being, really. And, um, yeah, it's something I do to feel good. So a big form of um, of well-being stuff has been taken away. It also means because I write with my voice, I can't really write any songs for the next couple of months. And, um, yeah, it's kind of frustrating not to be able to sing, really. But... You know, two months fly by, hopefully, and we'll see how we are in a couple of months' time. Um, but I'll be back for my end of September gigs in Bolton and Glossop, come what may. And the other update, actually, is um, is the weight loss stuff. I've decided, you know, that I'm just going to go from a base point of 212. Do you remember when I first got on the scales and all through that week it was 212 or 212.5 or 213 pounds that I was weighing and then when I, I came to actually stand on the scale, what did they do? But the scales dropped to 210, um, which is a sneaky trick, isn't it? Because you always judge how much you've you've lost based on what that base weight is. 
Um, and then that's always motivating when you're doing quite well. So I think this was a nasty demotivating trick by my scales to drop to 210. And I'm just thinking, why am I sticking to that false reading? I'm going to go to 212 because the day after it was on 212-ish again. So it, it may well have been more typically, but I'm going to go with my baseline at 212 rather than 210 because 210 is clearly a false reading and it's not helping me at all. But the key thing is to get to where I want to be and where I want to be is 182. So I'm now at the point where I've done four weeks and I have to tell you, it's still dead easy. So I'm still going to carry on losing a pound a week. And um, I'm down to 207. I'm just thinking what Mark is. I don't think Mark sent me his Monday. Let me have a look. I'll open my my WhatsApp. How cool and, and street and hip am I? I have WhatsApp. I don't bother with SMS. Texting. So 20th century. <laughs> oh Mark where are you oh I've got a little thumbs up from Mark but this was uh, this is dated the 18th of July Mark Mark how are you getting on the last I heard you were 16 stone 2 but that was that was on the 18th so I need something from you for the 25th but I'm down by £5 if I take 212 as my starting point so I'm, I'm really happy with what I'm, I'm doing and um as I say, I'm finding it really, really easy as well. Oh, dear. It's that, it's that kind of... Uh, how are you getting on with spiders at the moment? Because I'm seeing a lot of the buggers in my house. And uh, I'm not really a fan of spiders. Um, but I'm, I'm seeing... Like, there were two in my kitchen. One actually has taken up residence. And, and despite the fact that I'm somewhat arachnophobic, has, has become something of a pet. I've got a pet spider and it lives just under my dishwasher in the corner and it'll sometimes the thing the reason why I don't mind this little fella is even though if he got anywhere near me I would I would howl like Ned Flanders <laughs> yeah I would scream um but it doesn't, you see, it kind of, it's either, you can just see there like a little leg sticking out from underneath the dishwasher or it'll come out by about a foot or so. And I, th I don't know whether he's built a little web somewhere that I can't quite see. But the moment I get near or bang the dishwasher or whatever, he scuttles back in again. So I quite like this. It feels like I'm in some sort of a relationship with the spider. There's a cause and effect going on, you know, and, and he's quite amusing um, when he runs. Uh, he kind of scampers off again. So I, I like that because he's trying to keep out my way. And I don't mind him being there because... Um, <laughs> I haven't got a pet, <laughs> and it's quite it is quite comical when he goes legging it. You know, I just bang, I just kick the dishwasher or or I open it and he he pelts. And it's funny when he's kind of half out, he's half out, so he's half peeking out and half peeking in, and then he just kind of vanishes. He moves that quick, so I find that amusing. My friend Julie, um, she <laughs> her way of getting over the fear of spiders was that when they run away or when they run at all. Um, she she imagines that they're running to the theme tune of uh, the Benny Hill music. <laughs> so the spiders Scotland said, nee, 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 nee. do you know like um, when the fascists came to Liverpool and uh, <laughs> when they were marched out of the city, they didn't, they didn't get in yet again. Um, someone was playing the Benny Hill music. That was quite funny. Yeah, so I've got one that I'm not I'm not bothered by really, as long as as long as he keeps in his place. Know your place, spider. Know your place. But there's another 
big bugger. I mean, in my living room, I'm less fond of him now. To be fair, um, he's doing the same kind of thing. You know, he's got a little bit just under the floor, under the, uh, what's it called? The skating board. And he comes out. And then when I even just enter the room, he scuttles off again. Um, but I'm less fond of him because I don't know his habits yet. And I, I, he's, he's, a, he's big and hairy. So I don't want him. He's like a Brian Blessed of spiders, big as your fist. Um, so I, I don't want him sort of uh, starting to to get uh, adventurous and roaming around the place, you know. And and there was another one in the kitchen, but it was one of them. Do you know them sort of weird floaty spiders? And they just kind of stay there in, in suspended for ages. Little spindly things they are. I don't mind them too much either, as long as they're not on me, because they're not kind of scuttling about. They just kind of... I'm here now. I'm here. Yeah. They're like stoned, aren't they? It's like <laughs> it's like spiders who are kind of stoned. It's like, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm just staying here, man, in the corner of the room. No, 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 no. I'm not moving, man. No, no. I'll stay here for about four months. Yeah. <laughs> stone spiders. So I had a stone spider in my kitchen. But I'm, I'm spotting lots of them and I'm finding it a bit disconcerting. I'm starting to check my bed again. I have this uh, worry that spiders given that their climbers could, could get in bed with me and I wouldn't know. So I've started to check my bed. <laughs> uh, dear. I've been having a clear out as well. In um, I've been... I, I'm, I've, I've always been... I haven't always been, but I've long been a minimalist in a, a clutterer's body. You know, intellectually, I want to declutter. And I started initially in my bedroom because I've got this little cabinet... Um, which was meant to put things in, but of course, whenever you've got a flat surface, if you're like me, um, then you'll, you'll treat the flat surface as, as something to put things on. And so I had all sorts of nonsense on it, and um, including, by the way, a load of coins. So I gathered all my coins up, and I went to the supermarket, and I got 80 quid for them. That's all right, isn't it? Um, you know, little cups of slummy, little, little shrapnel. And I, I put that in, and, and this machine gave me a voucher for £80, which I then went and checked at the customer service. Can I help you, sir? Yes, I've got a voucher. Oh, so you've got a voucher. It's just under £80. Would you like it in cash, or would you like it in store voucher? Oh, I'd like it in cash, please, and I can spend it anywhere. There you are, sir. Take your money. Don't call me, sir. It doesn't feel very egalitarian. I'm sorry. So the the I've got I had £80, yeah. Just under £80, in fact, it was like just around about £79. What happened was it rejected coins and like a scav, I put them back in again. So <laughs> I had one voucher for £76, I had another for about £2.85. And uh, why am I telling you that? Oh yeah, the clear out. So I started first on this surface in my bedroom and it looked so lovely being all clear that it kind of motivated me to get rid of all the cack that I've got in the house. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. And um, the first thing I did, you see, the two rooms that were most badly affected, I've got this kind of front bedroom that I don't use. It's just like a storage. But I've also got a dining room downstairs that had become a storage as well. It was horrible. Um, I've now turned that back into a dining room, which is nice on summer days because I can go and eat my, my soup in there rather than in the heat of the kitchen. Um, and uh, so I've cleared everything out of there, basically. So I've got a nice dining room again. I can open the curtains and look out because um, all that's in there now is a table and my bookcase. And uh, yeah, I like it. So the next step is to start on that that storage room, bedroom thingy. 
and, and just start getting rid of stuff. I was initially thinking selling stuff, and that would be good with some of it because, you know, it helps pay the rent, doesn't it? But, um, you know, I think just getting rid of stuff would be a start, really, and uh, live like a human being. Live like a human being for a change, you know. Do you remember that scene in The Simpsons where the front falls off Lenny's house? <laughs> and you can see the inside of Lenny's house. And I think he's sat in the bath. <laughs> and he just looks to the street outside and says, Please don't tell anybody how I live. <laughs> well, that's me. That's me. But I'm changing, everyone. I'm changing. I'm changing how it is. Oh, that was a funny noise. Did you pick that up? There was like a motorbike thing going down there, going down the street outside. There's been an alarm that went that while I was doing my clear out, I was having a big struggle with a, a an alarm, and it went on all day. You know, like a house alarm thing, but it wasn't just like a ooh or anything like that. You know, do they do that? That sounded more like um, that sounded like more like a horror film, <laughs> horror film alarms. That'd catch on. That'd be good. Burglar comes in. From Psycho. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, what was I talking about? Yeah, alarms. It went on all bloody day. And it, 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 had, it, had, it had a really annoying and quick kind of um, frequency change in the sound. And I, I was thinking to myself, isn't it time now that we banned alarms? You know, car alarms and house alarms. They don't even work anyway. Haven't we got the technology now that the only people that they alarm should be the... Um, should be the person whose house it is. You know, we've got the technology now. We've all got mobile phones and everything. Shouldn't it be now that it sends a little 4G message which alarms the, the, the owner of the house and leaves the rest of us in peace? Wouldn't that be a better way of doing it? Because let's be honest, most of the time when house alarms go off, it's not a burglary. It's a cat or something, isn't it? Or they've set it wrong or the wind has blown. And so consequently, I mean, if you hear a house alarm now, do you jump out and expect it to be a burglary? Because I'm just thinking, oh, shut the hell up. <laughs> so it's not even effective. All it is is noise pollution. Drove me mad all day, that thing, as I was trying to as I was trying to declutter. So yeah, that's my um that's my manifesto of the week. Um let's see. Yeah, ban alarms because it's noise pollution. I'm trying to think, I sent something to, Jer- to Jeremy Corbyn in a podcast last time, didn't I? I think it was something that we had spring or... That'd be good, wouldn't it? Spring all the year round and not an alarm to be heard. This is the kind of paradise that I would create, you see, if they put me in charge. I don't know. I'm overlooked. (laughs) I started writing a book yesterday. I wrote the first chapter of a book and I decided that the length will be as long as it needs to be because... I get fed up, you know. You see, you see an idea in a book, and I read a lot, and I think that that's good. I'd like the idea of this, and then you realise it's like four hundred pages or, or or close to, and you think, God, I'm sure this is like a blog post which has just been puffed up into some huge thing. And the joy of like electronic books these days is um, you can have a book as short as you want. So I've started writing a book. I reckon it'll probably be about a hundred pages. Which I think is nice for a kind of uh, non-fiction, self-helpy type book. I think it's about right because you want the help quick, don't you? You don't want to be wading through all sorts of nonsense just so the author can can puff up their own vanity with the idea that they wrote a huge, big, fat tome. 
No, you don't want that. You want the ideas quickly and efficiently. So that's my little mantra when I'm doing that. So seeing as I can't sing, I thought I would do something else productive. And that's what I've decided to do. I'm going to write a book, see how I get on with that. I've actually got um, another book planned as well because I've got a series of blog posts and I want to kind of put them into into some sort of um, linear progression, some sort of logical journey and share them in book form as well rather than people having to hop about. So, um, But I've, I decided to write this other book that I've had in me for a while and I've started, so now I just need to keep on writing. I find writing easy once I get there, but it's getting there, isn't it? It's having the discipline to sit down and write, especially on a sunny day. So uh, I'm hoping to write something <clears throat> every day there. I'll have a swig of water, I think. This is what a swig of water sounds like on radio. Hang on, hang on, I'll do it. I'll get closer to the microphone. Could you hear anything then? Don't think you could hear anything. I should have slept. I should have slept. I've been thinking about um, going for a part-time job. Shock horror, Alan Parry in a job. <laughs> I think I'm unemployable now, by the way. Um, I do, I think I'm unemployable. But I saw this part-time job. I won't tell you what it is in case you, you apply. <laughs> it's funny when people do that, isn't it? They, they, they share a job on Facebook that they want themselves. That's crazy, isn't it? So you're, you're just increasing your potential competitors. I'm keeping this one under the radar. But I, I, they've got an online application form. And when you've been like freelance and self-employed like me for 12 years, it's like you don't fit into their world anymore. So I, I had a big rant about it to my mum and dad when I went to visit them the other day. And um, my dad told me that I had to just fill in the application form. And, and <laughs> he, he, he said that I have to conform to the world sometimes. That's what he said. <laughs> I have to use my head. So I'm, I'm taking that advice. I'm going to try and see if I can... See, they ask for employment history. And when you're self-employed, you do a million things, which are often really different, which is the joy of it, really, which is why I'm into it. I don't really like uh, specialising too much. Um, but every time I try and do a, a, a job application form for any part-time job that feels attractive to me, and this one does... Um, I always encounter that same problem now and it's it's difficult even to get an interview because your work history just looks bonkers despite the amount of kind of self-initiative and project management and making stuff happen that it's it's involved um, usually without any kind of supervision as well. Um, yeah, the, the people in the world of work look at it and they, they just don't understand it is my experience. But I'll see how I get on. I've, I've got that scheduled for Tuesday to actually sit down and fill in the application form as best as I possibly can for this part-time job. Um, yeah, so I'll be doing that. I've had a reader's question. That's what I was going to do, a reader's question. Um, I didn't really get anything back around the suicide stuff that I spoke of. Um, I hope I didn't... Uh, hope I didn't depress y'all. Um, but I did get a reader's question on something else. And it's from Crispin again. Crispin asked a question uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so a lot of love for Crispin. I love the engagement. Um, I'm going to call this Crispin's Corner unless the rest of you start asking questions as well. Let me see. Where's the question? I'm in Evernote here. 
Um, I'm not advertising it. I'm just in it. Just trying to find out what he, he put. Oh, here we go. Podcast question. So this is what Crispin wrote. He's put, it's a songwriting question. Crispin's a songwriter as well. So uh, he said, here's another question. How do you know that the audience will like your songs? That's a good question. How do you know whether the audience will like your songs? He says, I know that some people say that they write what matters to them and the audience can take it or leave it. But I can't imagine that's true really. So how do you know that you're writing something that will have appeal rather than just being self-indulgent? Which he says is his failing, he reckons. So how do you know whether the audience is going to like your songs? You know, there's a dead easy answer to this. You don't. You've got no idea whatsoever. You're kind of going off your own kind of tastes, I suppose, and hoping that your taste reflects the audience's. You go in really with songs that you like, but I don't think you've got any idea. I don't think any artist has. It's a different um it's a different it's a different set of tasks to be a creator and a curator. You know, a curator's job is to find out what what their their people are going to like and give it to them, but a creator is 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 coming from a different a different uh, it's a different job isn't it it's a completely different job it's like being a footballer and a manager being good at one doesn't mean you're going to be good at the other and um there's a certain amount of, of curation going on when you're writing the song i suppose because you're doing some sort of quality control you say no that line doesn't quite work for me but it is i mean you say self-indulgent but that when you're writing a song you are the only person at that point that you can please and it is down to kind of self-expression and what you like in that moment. Um, what feels fun for you. Ultimately, though, once you actually get it out there, there's no formula for this at all. And I'm always reminded of a, a story um, by, you know, Blondie, who were a huge band, weren't they? And they had this producer. And uh, this is the story of how Heart of Glass became an iconic song. Because Blondie... Um, didn't even even have that in terms of their back catalogue. They never sung it. It was just so when they got this record deal, the producer said to them, "Okay, we want I want you just to sit there, stand there, and play everything you've got." So they played everything right through, and because he was a smart producer, what he said to them is, um, "Have you not got anything else? You've not got anything else." And so they were like, "No, no." And then he said, "Well, we've got this." And the thing that was so contemptuously said as we've got this was Heart of Glass. They'd utterly rejected it. And of course, it's one of the biggest hits of all time, isn't it? Heart of Glass. Was I love and it was a blast. Soon found out at Heart of Glass. I know that bit. Skin up a ding down, need a fine. I shouldn't be singing really, shouldn't I? It's supposed to be in falsetto. Um, that's the thing though, I can't stop myself singing. I'm sort of like doing my soup and I'm like, ba, 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 only fools rushing. And then I have to stop myself. Yeah, so I don't think you know. I don't think there's any way you can know whether you've written a good song or not. And there's certain songs where, when I've done albums, for instance... Um, I've been encouraged to record a song based on other people's feedback rather than my own. And some songs which have just been kind of, 
I'm just sort of knocking this one out and they're the ones that people gravitate towards. So you've got no way of knowing. And this is why I think, even though you're dropping your own quality control, I think that we should just record and release everything. I mean, we're in an internet age now and we're still hung up with albums and stuff. I just think release and record everything. And so until the point where my voice packed in and needed a two-month rest, that was what my plan was really, to get into the studio and just go through and record everything and let the world decide. Let the world decide because you don't know. And what if you're what if you've got an absolute diamond like Blondie had and you're keeping it hidden from the world? So um I'd say give up on that. Um none of us know. None of us know. In fact, I was I, I talked I talk about this sometimes to, to Peter Davis from The Good Intentions, you know, my mates are Pete and Gabby, Gabby and Pete, whichever way you decide to write their Christmas card. <laughs> it's always weird that isn't it how, how do you decide whose name goes first on a Christmas card when people are in a couple I have I have, I have lots of techniques sometimes I'll do it by alphabetical order sometimes I'll do it by the person that I, I'm kind of closer to out of the two of them but then that's not a good thing um, sometimes I'll do it because I'll put the woman first because it feels like it's subverting the traditional way of things of, of man being the head of the household. Sometimes I'll do a whole Lennon McCartney thing. You know, I'll roll it off my tongue, see which feels nicer, and I'll go with that. Um, yeah, but it's it's quite troubling, isn't it? So um, yeah, but anyway, I was, I was talking I was talking about this to Pete Davis, and one of my favourite songs of the Good Intentions is a song called Poor Boy. It's a great song, and apparently Pete was going to throw that in the bin. So again, it just shows that as musicians, we can only create. And I think the best thing then is let the world decide who knows what's a good song. And in fact, good song, what does that even mean, that definition? It just means that people are going to like it. But there's lots of good songs that people aren't going to like for whatever reason. You know, how many years was Van Gogh dead before people started liking his paintings? Um, Just get it out there, I'd say. You're creating art, share it. And we've got a great means to share at the moment with with Tinternet. So stick it on Tinternet. Stick it on Tinternet. Let people have a listen. See what they say. Oh, football. Football's back, basically, isn't it? Football's nearly back. And uh, I've barely looked at it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm finding myself out of love with football. The transfer fees have gone absolutely stratospheric. I mean, it just bears nothing to reality anymore does it um I, I saw this meme on the internet and it you know man city have spent loads of money on you know this this defender and this center back and everything and a meme's been going around on the internet which you might have seen and do you know the country bosnia the country bosnia has spent 180 million on defense last year manchester city in this transfer window has spent 200 million so Manchester City have spent more on their defence than an entire country has. It's just crazy. It's absolutely mad. And um, Liverpool haven't really signed anyone, which I'm, I'd be most interested in. We've signed that lad Salah, and we've got that young lad from Chelsea, but um, the midfield is looking as as ropey as ever. And I don't know, I'm just, I, I've been gradually falling out of love with it for a long time, I have to say, but we're at a stage now, aren't we, where... You have to be like, have encyclopedic knowledge of world football just in order to join in. When I was a kid, then, you know, the well, 
you didn't really actually have a transfer window then anyway. You could transfer at any time. But you'd be watching other players within Division 1 as it was then. And 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 so that's, apart from the old Dane who came in, like Molby or... It was that lad for... Um, oh, the lad who came in for um, Man United. Can't remember his name now. But he, they had a Dane, a Dane or two as well, didn't they? So apart from the odd Scandinavian who came in, um, you basically knew all the players, didn't you? So you could have an opinion of it. You could be like, yeah, we could do with this player. And it'd be someone that you'd seen playing for Nottingham Forest or Arsenal or something, or, or Scotland maybe. Yeah, Charlie Nicholas would be good. You know, that kind of thing. But now you can't even take part in transfers. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm out of love with it. I, I don't I don't fully understand all this 4-3-3 nonsense either, if I'm honest. You know, <laughs> I always understood 4-4-2 and various tweaks of it. And now you've got all sorts of weird tactical innovation. I've been left behind. I'm a footballing dinosaur. That's what I am. I'm a footballing dinosaur. <laughs> I'm Peter Reed. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, it's very difficult. I remember when I was doing kids' footy. Um, God, how long ago was that? About 15 years, only 15 years ago. And I remember Chris Sutton signed for Blackburn. Do you remember that? And it was 5 million. I remember we had the Sunday papers and we used to play over Sunday. And everyone was like, wow, have you seen this? 5 million for what's it going to be like? 5 million. And now you've got like ridiculous sums, haven't you? You've got like 50 million. Is a, I mean, 5 million would probably buy me. <laughs> I'm probably worth 5 million these days, you know. <laughs> you can't get anything for that sort of price now. So, yeah, football is uh, football is. You're turning me off, man. You're turning me off. I was at uh, Cafe Psychologique <laughs> on uh, Wednesday. That's a good thing, you know. Cafe. It's a bit like um, what it is. You you meet in in a in a pub environment. So um, it's at the Casa, the Dockers' place in Liverpool. We've got a little room downstairs. And somebody presents a topic which is kind of in the broad realm of psychology. And then everyone kind of discusses it from their own experience. And uh, I've only been, this was my second time there. But I really love it and I really enjoy the people there. And um, they were talking about labels this time. Labels and diagnoses. Which was really interesting because a lot of people there were kind of from that sort of industry, you know, the kind of psychology industry. They were either like clinical psychologists or trainee psychologists or mental health social workers. And not all of them were, but it did have a spattering of those in there. And and their kind of perspectives were really interesting because it seems that, you know, that it's quite arbitrary when whenever a, a, whenever a... Well, I don't know what to call them because the psychiatrists, the psychologists, the psychotherapists, head doctors. I'm going to call them head doctors. So whenever these head doctors give some sort of a, a disorder, it's really arbitrary. There's no science behind it at all. And, um, yeah, so we were discussing that. We were discussing how these kind of... Um, you know, I was hearing some horror stories from people in the field about what happens when a psychiatrist, without even seeing somebody, makes a guarded... Uh, diagnosis of somebody um, who's maybe suffering some sort of distress in the community and how those guarded uh, diagnoses that are done within 10 minutes flat without even seeing the person 
virtually always become the actual diagnosis and then what happens then so it's quite scary really that this these these kind of labels can be put on people um when a lot of it seems to be driven by the drug industry you know they're trying to they're trying to pathologize every emotion that we've got um chronic grief disorder was one of them so if you were to lose a relative and you're still sad three months later they can medicate that now well that's just a natural human emotion that doesn't seem right does it um, I'm going to a conference actually in December called A Disorder for Everyone because I'm really interested in this this aspect of um, psychology and um, there's a lot of people who are fighting these labels and don't think that they're valuable and I want to hear what they have to say so I'm going to that in December I'm quite excited to go to that um, and I've been doing some coaching this week as well which is uh, I'm not going to say who for because obviously that's private but someone who's um, who's got some very exciting plans for their organisation and it's uh, we come up with some ideas together on our first sesh and uh, I'm really looking forward to being part of that journey in terms of uh, in terms of carrying that through. So if any of you would like that on a personal or organisational basis, give us a shout because that's something that I do. Um, so yeah, and uh, that'll be that'll be good. I'm really excited about this particular assignment actually because it does sound well it's very exciting and it's very in tune with my values as well so i'm really keen for that to actually bear fruit and uh, of course we're less than two weeks away now from my course in liverpool i'm doing a three-hour workshop on connecting communication which are essentially um many of the ideas that were devised by marshall rosenberg i'm going to be doing a three-hour workshop on that and it's only a tenner by the way i've done that because i'm not too fussed about the money side of this i just want to do it but at the same time i don't want people to register for free and then not show up because i'm going to need to limit this to just 12 people in this workshop to make sure to make sure that it's good for people so um what i'm going to be showing uh, people is how to get their needs met basically in a way that the other people find enjoyable to give so uh, it's really changed my life i'd say um and so I'm, I'm itching to share that i've already been doing it with like the home office and uh with nosley youth mutual and with the kindfulness coffee club and various other places and I'm, I'm looking forward to now doing it just like amongst the general public so if you'd like that then uh then how can I how can you find that actually? Yeah, go to ticketor.com forward slash parry events. Ticketor.com forward slash parry events and you'll be able to book your spec. Book your spec. I think that's all I've got to tell you. Oh, apart from one thing, I've read a book. Hey, hey I'm not such a Philistine after all, am I? I've read a book. I read it for my book club, um, which I go to um, every month, and it's this Monday, so I finished it last night. It's called The Road Home by Rose Tremaine, and it's basically, no spoilers here, um, it's basically a, um, what happens to an East European immigrant who uh, who leaves home and, and comes to Britain. The book clubs are great because they, they get you reading stuff you would never have read, and in this case, it got me persevering to read something that I probably would have jibbed after the first chapter. You see, in, in the first chapter, he goes on this long coach journey. And, oh, it's interminable. <laughs> He's just on the bus for 30 hours. And, of course, nothing really happens. He gets off occasionally and has a ciggy, has a wee. But that's it, basically. Eats an egg, bit of chocolate. And, and so it goes on <laughs> for like 20 minutes. 
Um, you know, because I'm reading it on my Kindle, and it's like 20 minutes this lasts. Just just me having this bus journey described blow by blow. And I was thinking, God, I, I'm not interested in this book. And then the second chapter came, and that, that had no quotation marks. I like dialogue, you see. I like people having a natter. So it had no dialogue in whatsoever. Um, and I, I made the decision I was going to jib it. But I do enjoy going to the book club. So I thought, well, I can't really go to the book club if I don't read the book. That'll be weird. So I, I picked it up again and I persevered. And I'm glad I did, actually, because I ended up enjoying the book. So there you go. If at first you don't succeed, pick up the book and carry on anyway. Was that the, was that the motto? Was that what Robert the Bruce said? Was it Robert the Bruce who said that? That was spider-related, actually, wasn't it? He had a pet spider. Well, that's me done, I think. I've been yabbering away to you now for 40 minutes. You don't want any more of me, do you? I might be going to play badminton today. I don't know yet. It's all up in the air, much like a, a shuttlecock. I haven't played badminton for a long time. Um, I've actually asked for a spare bat. I asked that on purpose, even though I know it's a racket. Because I'm trying to hustle them, you see. You know, <laughs> if I ask them for a spare bat, they'll think, oh, this fella's no good. They'll, they'll just take their foot off, won't they? They'll they take their foot off the gas and then bang, I'll be in there. Bang. Yeah, although I shouldn't take it so serious. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, playing badminton with my friend's children, who I think, what what age are they? I think about 13 and 11. So um, <laughs> I shouldn't really be... Uh, I shouldn't really be doing this uh, hustling business. I should be letting them win, shouldn't I? I'm not going to let them win. No chance. <laughs> so that's me done. I might not even go and play. I don't know yet. I've not had confirmation. Um, but if I do, I'm going to thrash them. I'm going to thrash them. No mercy. <laughs> I did play with um, my friend some while ago, and he did all the trash. No, like boxers do. He did all trash talk. Because we'd never played badminton before. I'm going back about 10 years now. <laughs> and he was doing all this trash talk about what he was going to do to me in badminton. <laughs> and within two minutes, I did this um, I did this big looping. You know, knowing someone's kind of forward on the court. And you can get right under the shuttlecock. And, and you send this big looping thing to the back of the court. <laughs> and then they're kind of running backwards like a lobster with their arms in the air trying to see if they can get it. And at the point of impact where he was trying to get this high shot that I did, and we were literally two minutes in, his back went. <laughs> and I shouldn't laugh because he was in agony. But, you know, <laughs> having faced about six weeks of trash talk, for him to have lasted two minutes, and then I had to walk into mine, which was about a 15-minute walk, and <laughs> he was sat there on my couch. I had to go and get him a taxi because I didn't drive then. There's no way he could have got back on the bus. He was just sat there sweating in agony. And I was just in tears laughing. <laughs> and at, at one point he just looked up and said, your bedside manner leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> so yeah, maybe I'll have a, maybe he'll get his revenge today, but uh, it might not even happen. Who knows? So I'm going to play you out now with the song of the week. Um, send me your questions. It's lovely to have that question from Crispin. Send me any thoughts you've got. Um, any ideas for sections of the show. And um, any good wishes over me Al nodules. <laughs> it sounds a bit rude, doesn't it? To say you've got nodules. 
He may be six foot three, dear, but I've got nodules. Oh, yes, I've got nodules, and they're all yours. So, yeah, I'm going to stop that now. <laughs> We're going to descend and carry on. So, yeah, nice talking to you. I'll see you next Sunday, and uh, tatty bye. Enjoy the song of the week. Bye. Barren desert from where did you come? The pastures are green underneath your warm sun. Now the sun burns and the pastures are gone. Hello, barren desert from where did you come? Hello, Mr. Scorpion from where did you spring? The lock on my side where she no longer sings. You silence the beautiful song with your sting Hello, Mr. Scorpion, from where do you swing? Whoa, whoa, oh. Hello, Mr. Scorpion, from where do you swing? Whoa, 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 oh. Hello, Mr. Scorpion, from where do you Sun in my eyes, and then the clouds darken and smother the skies. River so strong, and in your waters rise. Oh, 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 oh. River so strong, and in your waters rise. Oh, oh, oh. Some ice and proclaim it a jewel And it all melts away just to prove I'm a fool Mistress coffee, tell your nature is cruel Oh